Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, in our last episode, when I was discussing how I rank things in my life and what I was feeling as important, and again, to tell all the emailers out there, yes, I do rank my marriage ahead of my children. It's important. Um, but you had mentioned in there that we as individuals on this planet who have sense of sight and feel and all those other fun things have a very hard time grasping the invisible and what's not completely in our face. And in that episode, you discussed the importance of relying upon God, because obviously you can't see God, um, and that's an individual relationship, um, as well as the relationships that you have that are important but aren't in your face, such as your marriage whenever you have a screaming child um, that is demanding different kind of attention than your marriage does, because in theory you're married to another competent adult. So one of the issues that um, had been emailed to us about kind of applies to this and we've done episodes about this in the past, and I think that um, the easiest way to say it is it, it's come across as clumsy in the way that I've tried to articulate it to you. So I want to try it in this light of looking at paying attention to the individual uh, as it is in our obligations as people. Um, and in the past, when we've had discussions about things in the economic sphere, uh, the answer basically is, as a good foundational starting point, never do anything that puts another person in a situation where you're not treating them as a person, where you're treating them as a means to the end, essentially. And that's the very basic uh, ground rules and not, not trying to, to break them at all. And I want to look at this from the standpoint of essentially taking advantage of people um, by not attempting to participate. Uh, in my world, I see a lot of people who basically want to live off of the system. Um, if you want to fill out a couple of forms, you are permitted to get free rent, essentially in perpetuity, and you're never required to do anything in exchange. And if you choose to not participate economically, you can continue to do that, again, basically until you die. And when we've brought up these kind of conversations in the past, I've come across as mean or uncaring or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, what you are truly doing, if you're putting yourself in that situation, is that you're not caring about the individuals that are participating in the system, that are going to work and paying their taxes. And essentially, you're taking their labor for your benefit. And I know that there's always going to be someone who can pull up this, that, or the other example about how, oh, my mom lost her, lost her leg and all of this and then the other. But the simple reality is, is that is not the majority. And also, there's many other uh, realms that this goes into than just using free rent money. So I want to discuss that for those who have the capability and the physical wherewithal to be able to participate in this workforce that we have, but choose not to for whatever reason, and essentially, whether they are consciously recognizing it or not, are requiring other people to pay for their life. 
Well, you, you certainly have a different, uh, a particular perspective, Joe, from your work in housing and uh, seeing people that are that are probably, uh, well, as you say, trying to live off the system and uh, maybe maybe working an angle. I, it, it would be interesting to uh, maybe know some of the statistics around uh, some of that. Maybe, maybe you do, but in any event, um, I've really, I, I've, I've come to know so many people who, um, you know, there really are things that are, that are interfering with uh, their, their participation, maybe, maybe not physical things, but, um, you know, people who struggle in a lot of different ways. Uh, and uh, certainly, um, you know, I, I work with, with people who are, you know, struggling in, in different ways. And, uh, but one, one thing to recognize is that, that work is um, a, a right and it's for our good. So one of the things with the whole economic, we've, we've tied work to food and shelter because normally speaking, you have to earn a living. We use that phrase uh, and you do that by work and then you get what you need to um, eat and have a place to live. But work is not essentially tied with uh, food and shelter. Uh, work is really its own thing apart from that. I remember as, as children, we used to reflect on what we would do if we won the lottery. And there's this uh, kind of dream, oh, I'd never work again. Um, well, yeah, you probably would because you, uh, you probably, well, because we need work to grow as a human being. Good work makes us, uh, helps us to develop virtue, helps us to grow in goodness. And uh, so for the sake of employers, there's a responsibility to provide good work and that's uh, work doing good things. So not, not criminal things, the outcome should be itself good. Uh, the work should be good, the environment should be good. And that's, that's part of the, what's incumbent upon employers is to provide those kinds of opportunities to use their, their capital for that. That's one of the ways that capitalism functions well when those who have capital provide good work for people to do in a good environment towards a good end. And that helps them to, to grow as people. But to look at it a little, you know, we, we can look at it in a, a kind of uh, justice perspective, which is maybe a way that you're approaching it. Uh, one way we could see how you're approaching it, you know, there, you're living off the system or you're creating burdens for others or, um, you know, you, you should do your part. So there's a kind of obligation to contribute appropriately. But even from a human development point of view, it's true. And so we, we should almost have, rather than having an indignation over people who aren't working and uh, want to sort of, uh, you know, beat them into action, we could actually have a, a compassion and pity for people who are not working because uh, work helps us to to develop and grow as human beings. And something Pope Francis has said many times is work is dignity. There's a, there's, a, we, we grow in dignity as we are able to earn our own bread, as we're able to earn our own living. And so for people who aren't doing that, we can really feel kind of empowered that way to say, no, it's good for you to work rather than having a sort of attitude of like, you ought to do it because, you know, 
you should suffer because I have to suffer. <laughs> Sometimes we get into that space, you know, it's like, why do I have to work for your, you know? Um, but it's, it's really somebody is losing somebody, something if they can work and they're not working. And then again, I, I am in the space that I press on. Well, what are the, what are the reasons for that? You know, we have, sometimes we have monks who really struggle to do as much and understanding what's going on in that struggle is, is really important rather than just sort of uh, yelling at them or upping the ante or, uh, you know, pushing them in different ways. And sometimes there is a, there's an insecurity that's there. There's a fear of failure. There's sometimes some, some depression that they're working through. There are other, other kinds of uh, internal disorder that prevents people who are physically capable from actually doing the work. And so that's some of the space that I live in is trying to help people open up to that people who haven't really known unconditional and affirming love sometimes can really burn themselves out not doing very much and then get into a position that they're afraid to do anything. Anyway, we can explore a lot of those things, I suppose. But I guess I just would uh, try to express uh, the, the problem in terms of, it's really a problem for the individual who's not working. And that's something that we should feel uh, uh, empowered to challenge them about and and as much as we can line up alongside of them to help them overcome this difficulty in their life as we would with a physical problem that prevented someone from doing something and we want to find a solution so we should also with a uh, a mental problem we could describe it as not just uh, perhaps a willful laziness but um, other factors that really interfere with somebody's capacity to work and thus interfere with their human development and their growth and virtue and, and, and their human thriving. Yeah. And to that point, as you asked in the beginning for statistics on it, that I was coming from it from more of that second standpoint. I lead in with the economic point because it's physically seeing, I can see it's beyond just myself. Um, so this is, from my own living experiences, not taking a nationwide survey or anything like that. But to, I can see where you were going to, well, I'm suffering at work, you should have to suffer. Because even in your own explanation there, you kind of outlined, well, I there's these potential mental things going on. And I'm not trying to deter that we've all had stress or trauma or, or, or things aren't perfect. But that's true for each one of us, as that's true for the human condition. And where I'm trying to get with this is kind of where you were going is that the simple nature of not participating in work and whether that means you're getting a paycheck or not, I, I, I'm looking at this as a more universal standpoint, is that it ultimately deteriorates yourself. You said in the form of not growing and in my world, not growing normally means you're detracting. If you're not building muscle, you're building fat. I mean, that's how I've seen my body work. So I'm assuming that spirituality and virtueness kind of works in the same way. When you're actively participating to trying to get better, you're getting better. When you're not, you're normally slowly declining. And my standpoint from this was, yes, work is not always fun. There's a reason it's called work. I mean, there's some things about it that, yeah, you just got to wake up and do it. And my standpoint of this is coming from it is 
yes, I had to do that, and I would like to see everyone do it because it's not fun, but this isn't a share the misery standpoint. It's almost as I see people because of the way my individual county chose to dealt with uh, rent and COVID's commingling. Uh, there are a lot of people who essentially have been living for free since March Madness of not this year, but the year before. So we're talking, what, 18, 19 months now, and have effectively been giving this time for free and due to various rules, um, nothing can be done about that. That's lost rent for eternity. And yet, rather than being essentially grateful for all of those economic dollars that they had to spend, there is bitterness and resentment that how dare you expect me to pay for the service that I had been given. And yes, I see that in my world, and I obviously talk to a lot of other landlords. I'm very abreast of this problem. But it, it, it's beyond that, because it, it goes past dollars and cents into a space of true development. And that's where I want to focus on is how do we address this situation without coming across in a way that will be, or, or essentially, how do we effectively have this conversation? Because I'm well aware from enough experiences that if you come with the, I don't like work either, but you just need to do it, that doesn't work and normally ends up in a very bad shouting match, if not worse. So effectively, I'm asking you as a representative of the faith, because this is not the first time in 2021 that people have had this problem before. Um, how do we actually address individuals that are opting to take advantage of whatever says it might not be the federal government. It might be taking advantage of a family member in whatever capacity or taking advantage of a neighbor or a friend or whatever. Um, we all have different judgments of what that means, but just keep this in general terms right now. How do we address a type of situation where someone's clearly taking advantage of someone and we need to stop it for lack of a better way of putting it? Yeah, there's a, I guess it's hard to generalize that, uh, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, I think helping people to see, um, well, I, I'm, my first approach is always coming alongside someone and uh, and, and empathizing with their burden, trying to understand it enough from the inside rather than uh, judging it in, in immediate terms from the outside, as much as we are able to come to the inside and express sincere compassion and have somebody help to open up. What, what can happen if, if we have somebody who's willing to do that? Now, you know, people in different settings are, are wrapped up in... Uh, I mean, I'm just thinking now of, of some people who maybe are tied up in the world of addiction and, and really lie to themselves, uh, let alone to somebody else. You know, how do you break people out of some of those addictive cycles? That's that's its own uh, art, uh, one might say. But as much as we can for somebody who's uh, relatively sincere and able to engage in a relationship that we really come without uh, judgments and condemnation without harshness and try to enter from the inside and understand what's what's happening what's the what's the person doing what are they afraid of what are they um, 
What reasons are they not engaging? Because it, it can become a self-perpetuating cycle that by not working, we feel worse about ourselves and then we don't want to start working. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes having someone step in and really see and understand to empathize and, and even provide some concrete steps, you know, let's take a couple of steps together. Sometimes we can turn that, that kind of thing around. Um, that's, a, that's one, one scenario. Uh, St. Ignatius gives us uh, a little bit of a template for two kinds of people. He basically, in his rules for discernment, he indicates there are you know, basically two categories of people. There are people who are moving from good to better, who are trying. And kind of like you said a, a moment ago, Joe, about you know, if you're not making progress, you're falling back. Then there are people who are heading in the wrong direction from bad to worse. And with people who are heading in the wrong direction, the way that the Lord works is by uh, biting and stinging their consciences and by putting up obstacles and helping them to see that they're heading the wrong way. Now, sometimes that's what we call tough love. That's sort of how that's translated into colloquial English. And with somebody who's really actively heading in the wrong direction, sometimes we need to do those things. And that's where, you know, when a, when a child in a household is doing that, it's time to say, well, um, you know, I have to ask you to move out. If you're gonna make decisions, you're gonna choose to, you know, use drugs and hang out with criminals rather than going to college in the way I'm providing for you or working the job that I helped you to get or whatever. If you're going to insist on going the wrong direction, then I need to acknowledge that and just let you move out and, and uh, close the door until you're start ready to start moving in the right direction. Those are the kinds of things that can give a little bit of a wake-up call, help somebody to see the situation that they're in, we need to do that with purified motives, not in a vindictive way to make somebody suffer for what they've done because they've made me suffer. So I'll make them suffer. You know, we just, we always have to be in a place to, um, to purify those, those things in our hearts. But, but we, sometimes people need consequences. And likewise, you know, when people need to get evicted from their apartments or when they need to be fired from a job that they're not doing, or there are, there are certain clear consequences that can help somebody to experience the, uh, the destitution of their behavior. And that can provide a little bit of motivation to turn around. Now, what I was describing initially is really the assistance, providing the assistance people need to turn around. And that's where it can be really challenging if we're determined to put up walls and help people to feel the consequences of their behavior are we just as zealous to help them turn around when they're trying to make the effort to turn around? And it can be hard to walk that line. And sometimes it just takes two people, the good cop, bad cop scenario. Mom lets them in and dad kicks them out. You know, there's a, there's those kinds of things that we, that we work through. But I guess uh, part of what I'm saying is there, there are different scenarios that we deal with and, different ways that we need to address them. There isn't really a one size fits all. It really depends on where the person is. Uh, I really appreciate Jordan Peterson in this area. He's done a great good giving his own witness, having watched his friends kind of drink themselves into an oblivion. He came to a point where he realized he had to make a decision, whether he was gonna keep going down the wrong direction or whether he was going to set out for a, a noble, pursuit. 
And that noble pursuit was, uh, I forget now exactly, but I think uh, beginning to learn and then eventually uh, seeking to take classes. And he describes it as picking up the heaviest burden that you can, uh, that you can carry and starting to carry it, that we really need to carry a burden in order to grow. And his message has particularly reached a certain population of young men who have heard the call to responsibility, as he says it, uh, if you live a life without responsibility, then you also live a life without meaning. That responsibility helps to solidify meaning in our lives. And we just can't live without meaning. And so we have to take responsibility for something, even if it's just keeping our room clean and making our bed to start with. We need to take responsibility for something. We need to carry some, pick up some burden and, and start carrying it. Now, his message doesn't reach everybody. And that's part of what I'm saying both that there is a good call to responsibility that can resonate. He particularly reaches, uh, again, young men in their uh, 20s and 30s who have probably been in a position of languishing for some period of time and are awakened by that and experience some hope and are willing to try it out and find some. Have, he's, he has beautiful testimonies of people whose lives have been turned around by, by taking this message to heart. So. With other people, we need to draw close, empathize, support them, help them to take a step. Sometimes it just is a, a matter of jumpstarting someone and getting them in a position that they can uh, that they can thrive. There, you know, there are people with learning disabilities, for example, that have just felt useless their whole lives. Well, if they were just dyslexic, and actually giving them some skills and helping them to work through that, suddenly a whole new world opens up and they start thriving. Uh, oh, yeah. Other people who are you know suffering from whatever, some depression. And uh, I, I know a young man I was working with for several years and it just took a little bit of medication and suddenly like night and day, I mean, just amazing. Uh, there are chemical imbalances that we suffer, suffer from. So, but I think the, I guess the bottom line is we need to be able to, we need to be willing to uh, commit to people and, and draw alongside them and, uh, you know, accompaniment really matters. And we're living in a time of terrible social uh, disarray, uh, lack of cohesion, social bonds are just shredded left and right. And people are, are falling through the, the networks of social relationships that are so important for all of us to thrive. So just forming those with people can also make a big difference in helping them to turn around. And, and two direct thoughts on that on the dyslexic point is some of the absolute best plumbers I know couldn't do school because of that reason, but you, they got out of school and they started working with their hands literally. And it just all made sense. Um, and, and, you know, just reading Shakespeare at the end of the day kind of doesn't affect life when you're building a house period. Um, but to, to the point, we've kind of discussed this in, in prior episodes of the little hurts that can build up. And then when we're dealing with someone in one of these applications of applying the tough love or, or putting responsibility upon someone, uh, yeah, it, it, it can be a wake-up moment, but by its very nature, you're going to wake them up to a negative response. I have wasted X amount of time by not doing anything, and by its nature, it should be a negative response to make you want to change. And to that... Um, we see two opposite problems that could happen with that. People who don't want anyone to feel any pain 
So therefore, they never take you to the situation of administering the tough love where they know you're going to feel pain and sadness on the other side. So it never happens. Well, I guess that would be the good cop in your situation. Um, or option two, people really want you to feel pain for all the misery that you've caused and they apply way too much. And um, in certain senses, maybe because you use the example of a parent, um, it, it makes me feel like it's it's one of these duality things that requires two people to come together. Um, just as, you know, you need the good cop and the bad cop. One person probably is not capable of doing this job. And, and in terms of creating social relationships, you need two people for a relationship by default. Um, it, it just seems to be something that as we move forward, we have to have both sides in the room. You can't just have the um, try to meet in the middle with everything because it seems like nothing will ever get done. And, and then you'll just continue languishing until you wake up one day in misery, essentially. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I've never met too many addicts that are happy. Um, they're, they're normally there because of some form of misery that is whether big or small in reality and their life is huge um, and, and can be in their minds insurmountable. And I think that that's another point of perspective. Very few people in this world are good at looking at a situation where they are involved at but treating themselves as a third party and looking objectively at a situation. It is a very hard skill to truly do. Um, and it's something that, that would be great benefit for all of us if we could. And, um, and just something to, to look at there. So I know that we covered a lot of different grounds here in this particular episode. If there's any final thoughts that you want to leave us with as we conclude uh, this week. Well, I guess, uh, I didn't mention in any of that the you know the power of prayer. It makes a difference, you know. So maybe just uh, that takeaway for us, for our listeners, to pray for people. It's easy to complain about people. It's easy to uh, murmur about them. It's easy to judge people we don't know. If we see that there's a problem, or we feel we see there's a problem, the best thing to do is to pray for that person, pray for that situation, and uh, that does more good than a lot of complaining about it. And uh, maybe the prayer helps them to grow, gives them the grace they need to make a change. Maybe the prayer also gives us some insight into how we can reach out to them and help them. And what a beautiful action step to do as we conclude this episode. So thank you, everyone, and we will be with you again next week.